Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is 9.34 a.m. It's a, it's a cool 9.34 a.m. on Wednesday, August 30th. Um, it feels like September 30th, frankly. It's 63 degrees outside. I just put my five-year-old on the bus. And I am joined by Bill Rabinowitz of the Columbus Dispatch, uh, Ohio State, longtime Ohio State reporter, uh, Mother Bears aficionado. Bill, thank you for uh, for joining us. Nice to have you. Nice to be with you, Zach. I appreciate you doing it for us the other day, too. It's, it's funny. I have to lead with this story. But years and years ago, Jim Delaney, right before the Big Ten admitted Nebraska, uh, agreed to have an on-record, off-record session with reporters about expansion in the summer of 2010, and I was working for a website called Inside the Hall covering IU basketball. And I just went up there because I was like, well, if they'll let me in, I don't care. You know, I'm just I'm just trying to. And Delaney, um, Delaney was talking off the record with all of us in the room, and you were there. Um, and I'm sure you didn't know who I was because I was just some 22-year-old doofus trying to figure out how to uh, trying to figure out my way in, in media. And Delaney was like, you know, I, I trust the legacy publications more than the blogs. I don't know if I trust the blogs. And you said like something like, uh, Jim, uh, you know, w- would you, would you be more guarded with your, with your answers if there was just some random blog in here? He's like, yeah, I think I would. And I was just like, well, I'm just gonna, it's gonna slide under the table here and just not, uh, I don't not, I do not remember that at all. I don't remember even the, the meeting with Delaney. So all I remember, uh, the thing I remember most about the meeting was I think Teddy Greenstein asked if Delaney would do it at like an AD's meeting in the spring. Okay. And Delaney said, You bring the beer, we'll bring the brats. And Teddy brought like a cooler full of line and kugels and the Big Ten catered brats. And the next day, Nebraska and all its history joined the Big Ten network. Where was that? Was that Chicago? Yeah, it was up in it was up in it was the only time I've ever been to the Big Ten offices, and this would have been the old offices, not the uh, not the Fogo de Chao offices. Okay. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I was not covering Ohio State. That was the year before I started covering Ohio State. I was the quote unquote national college football writer, whatever that meant. And so I believe you. I just have no memory of that at all, which may be a function of my age and senility or whatever. But the other thing, I, I'm sorry if I tried to throw you under the bus. I oh no, not at all, not at all. I mean, first of all, I really was. The other, the other funny part of that story, and then I'll shut up because this is just like my weird memory. Was I, I to to lend some added legitimacy? Um, Chris Corman, who was the sports editor at the Herald Times in Bloomington at the time, said he'd he'd pay me to write a freelance story. Um, so I could say I was from the Herald Times if I really needed to. Right. And, uh, the Herald Times never paid me. So the Herald Times still owes me 50 bucks. Um, <laughs> I, I feel bad We've going all been there. Yeah. Um, but, We've you know, it, 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 one day, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like Don Corleone. One day I might come to them with this favor that, that, that I ask of them. Um, we're here to talk about Ohio State, Indiana's season opening opponent, Saturday, 3.30. Uh, on CBS, the Big Ten's, I don't know, sorry, I don't think this is the first uh, Big Ten game ever broadcast on CBS, but it's the it's the Big Ten's debut in what is traditionally that SEC slot. Um, and Ohio State, as everyone 
I think would expect is a heavy favorite. It is a team that it's fair to say has maybe a little bit, or is it fair to say, I guess, Bill, maybe a little bit more uncertainty around it than normal, just in terms of there was a, a slightly higher rate of, I guess, positional turnover, particularly on offense. Well, there are two positions for Ohio State that have been the concern, or at least the question all year. One is the quarterback, and that was semi-resolved yesterday when Ryan Day said that Kyle McCord would start against Indiana, although Devin Brown will play meaningful snaps. Exactly what that means, I don't know. The other, and to me, a bigger concern all year has been the offensive line. They lost Paris Johnson, the first-round uh, NFL draft pick at left tackle on DeJuan Jones, who'd been there forever. Just a you know huge mountain of a man at right tackle. Uh, he's now with the Browns, and they lost Luke Whipler. That was the bit of a surprise to Ohio State that Whipler, when he ended up being a sixth-round pick of the Browns, made the team. So they lost, you know, arguably, well, I think most people would say the three most important positions on the line, the, the tackles and the center. And in the spring, the offensive line did not look good at all. The defensive line manhandled them most of the time, and there were a lot of reasons for that. But, but you know, it didn't look good. Well, they went in the portal. They got Josh Simmons from San Diego State. who played right tackle for the Aztecs last year. Uh, he came after spring. He's now the left tackle, and they feel very good about him. They feel like they've kind of found somebody there. Josh Fryer, who had been playing left tackle after playing most of his career at right tackle as a backup at Ohio State, an Indiana guy, uh, is now at right tackle, probably a more familiar spot. And they've, uh, Ryan Day said yesterday that Carson Hinsman, who's a Richard freshman from uh, Wisconsin, is the center. He's beaten out another transfer, Vic Cutler, who came from Louisiana Monroe. So they feel very good about the offensive line, at least compared to where, where they felt at the beginning of camp. I mean, that was a real concern. And now they feel with, with Simmons able to play the left half with a pretty athletic guy, and Josh Fryer basically back at home at right tackle, they're pretty good. They feel pretty good about Carson Hinsman. He's going to have a learning curve. He's a smart guy, and, and you know they're, they're confident in him. So those are the two big question marks they had because the rest of the team, they feel very, very good about. I mean, wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and a bunch of other guys coming, coming up. Uh, running back room with Trevion Henderson, Brian Williams, and three other guys they feel good about playing. Uh, tight end Kate Stover has been there forever. Defense, you know, had had its issues with big plays, and until they prove that they can stop the big plays, it's going to be an issue, or at least a question. But they they return a lot of talent and a lot of depth everywhere. So uh, they they feel very good about the team if the quarterback pans out, if the offensive line plays up to standards. Let's start where maybe Indiana can can try and exploit some of that before we go to all the places that I think Indiana is likely to struggle with with Ohio State. Um, I know we talked in your podcast about you know the impression in spring or in, in preseason, and it's always important to caveat this by saying preseason camp can fool you. Preseason camp can can look a certain way, and then it doesn't pan out that way. Um, Indiana does look better perhaps substantially better along its defensive line than it's been the last couple of years. And that's primarily with transfers. So you're talking about guys that have done it at a, <clears throat> at a power five level. Um, you know, the only guy who hasn't is Andre Carter, who is maybe the best of them. Um, certainly the most promising of them, but you know, Philip Bleedy from Texas tech, Marcus Burris from Texas A&M, Anthony Jones from Oregon. Um, so guys that aren't necessarily going to be overwhelmed with, you know, suddenly facing, 
you know, college level athletes at, at tackle at guard at center. Um, when you have a, 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 and you talk about, you know, McCord is going to start. We, we, we might, we will probably see both. Um, is that, I guess maybe the, I, I'm not trying to, to, I'm not trying to make it sound like there's no hope for Indiana, but is that maybe the one area of concern that you'd have if you're Ohio state and just sort of saying, if Indiana is a lot better along that defensive line, there could be some growing pains in terms of protecting a young quarterback and getting him settled into a game. Sure. Sure. Because, you know, they're going to be butterflies. And one of the things that people close to Kyle McCord have told me is that he doesn't get nervous, which, you know, is a great trait whether that's actually going to be the case when you are the guy now. You played two years ago against Akron, and you and I could have played against Akron, and, and they probably could have won the game. Um, you know. You've never seen me on the field. It's, it's not <laughs> okay. great. Okay. All right. Uh, well, you know, there was no, there was no concern that, that two years ago the Cobb Accord would cost them a victory against Akron, put it that way. So – so there is, you know, there is the element of first game and first start for him and the offensive line. And Tom Allen is a very highly respected defensive mind. And Ohio State knows they're going to throw the kitchen sink at them. And why not? Right. I mean, not going to play Ohio State straight up and just say, OK, we'll beat you man to man. You're going to try some stuff that's going to try to confuse Kyle McCord as a first time real starter uh, and Devin Brown, who's never thrown a pass before. So. You know, I, I, you know, I think from what I've seen of Ohio State, and, and honestly, we don't see very much from Ohio State. We saw two practices. They were both very light practices. The first one, and then the one when BTN was in town, and they it was right before a scrimmage. They did next to nothing. So I don't know. You get to watch the actual practices and see how they develop, right? We get a little bit more than that. We we, we were limited during the periods where they go eleven on eleven, um, but we would at least see a little bit more position work and and you know, seven on seven and that kind of stuff. Right, right. Yeah, we saw very little of that. So a lot of what I'm basing this on is what we've been told as opposed to what I've seen with my own eyes. And uh, yeah, when you have a defensive line that is stout enough to hold up against any team, that makes it so much easier. I mean, the last thing Indiana wants is for Iowa State to have second and two all the time. Because then you say, okay, let's take a shot at <laughs> Marvin Harrison downfield or Mecca Buchler or, you know, pick your poison. You know, if Indiana's to have any chance in this game, they've got to put Ohio State in situations that are uncomfortable, which is third and long. How do you do that? You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how good Indiana's off uh, defensive line is. I don't think you know. But especially, you know, you have transfers. It takes time to mesh, all that stuff. And more so on the offensive line, but, but also on the defensive line. You have to know each other's assignments. And so, it's you know, this is just boilerplate football strategy. If you can – limit the run, then you have a, obviously have a much better chance to, to have to stay in the game. Um, and Ohio State's offensive line has a lot to prove. So until they do it in a game, there are going to be questions. Just about everywhere else, I think Indiana, especially offensively, is going to have concerns. You, you, Ohio State's always got a deep well of running backs. You talk about the, the explosiveness, maybe the best receiver in the country, Marvin Harrison Jr., experience at tight end. Um, basically just, I, I guess it's, it's probably, I think there's probably a, the answer to this is relatively obvious, but how ready do you think basically all these other pieces where Ohio state can point to catches carries, you know, years in the program, whatever, 
and just sort of say, yes, the quarterback is young, and yes, the offensive line might have some hiccups, but everything else around that group is so experienced and so proven that the infrastructure, the support, the whatever is going to be there to find it, even if maybe it's a little bit um, – even if maybe it's a little bit kind of – I use this comparison with you yesterday, the Ohio State-Minnesota game a couple years ago when C.J. Stroud's making his first start. The, the engine misfires a couple times, but eventually you look back and they had 500 yards and 45 points and everything was fine. Yeah, I'm not, you kind of nailed it because Ryan Day said that he's already talked to the other players on the offense and said, look, you, you need to be the support system for Kyle McCord and Devin Brown and the offensive line. I mean, you, you know – you got to catch the passes. You got to hit the holes. All that kind of stuff. And and it's a hungry team. I mean, I, mean, I think about Travion Henderson, who had a had a really good start to his freshman year, especially. I mean, he ran for a gazillion yards against Tulsa, um, and then injuries slowed him later that year. But he still had a really good freshman year. And then last year, he broke a bone in his foot and ligaments. I mean, I don't know how he played. I, mean, I broke a pinky toe in November and was like, I, I couldn't even imagine trying to play college football. It's just that. And Trevor Henderson had a much more serious injury and tried to gut it out. It just was not effective. You could just see it. Uh, he's really hungry. He wants to prove that he's the best running back in the country. He hears all the time about Michigan's two running backs, Quorum and Edwards. And, and I'm sure, you know, he's not, he doesn't talk about it, but I know Travion and I know he's probably thinking I'll show them. And so he's hungry. And when you've got five, quality running backs you better be at your best because if you're not the next guy's going to take your take your reps so I, I think it's a hungry team and what happened at the end of last year obviously has given them motivation especially the Michigan game the Georgia game in a way I mean it was a, a devastating loss of course because they probably would have won the national championship and they but they played Georgia really well they played they played really well that game with a few bad plays but they were the only team that gave Georgia a game last year, any kind of significant game. So I think they gave them confidence into this year and also hunger because they realized how close they were. So, you know, I think for, for Ohio State's offense, they want to show – they want to help McCord. And the offensive line wants to show that it's an Ohio State offensive line. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a hungry team, and I think it's, I think it's a talented team. Quarterbacks, just, I mean, it's the most general question, but your impressions of them, you, you talked about the likelihood of seeing both in, in some form, at least I think that's what you said. Um, right, yeah. You know, how are they similar? How are they different? Obviously, Ryan Day is, is I mean, Tom Allen sort of waxed lyrical about him this week, is considered one of the foremost offensive minds in the country, so you would imagine he's – maybe more capable than most of doing, you know, I don't want to call it a dual, a two quarterback system because I recognize that doesn't really exist almost anywhere ever anymore. Um, but my point, you know, adapting from one guy to the next, but basically just what are the, what are their strengths and what might be different depending on who's behind center? Yeah. Kyle McCord is kind of more of a traditional quarterback, um, more of a pocket passer. He can run. And, and when we talk about the differences, there's shades of gray. It's not like one guy is a statue, one guy is Braxton Miller. I mean, it's, it's not like that. But Kyle McCord is considered more the pocket passer, the move around in the pocket to throw guy. But he, he can run. He's, he's more willing, a more willing runner than C.J. Stroud was pre-Georgia, at least. And so um, he's – people that know him again say he's unflappable, he doesn't get nervous, that the moment's not going to be too big for him. 
and he's this is his third year in the program, so he's he's as experienced as Ohio State's had for a while in terms of at least knowing the system. Devin Brown is a redshirt freshman. He played 15 snaps last year. None of them were throws. Uh, he's a little more dynamic, a little more charismatic in terms of personality. He's kind of a guy, you know, rah rah kind of guy. Um, in high school, he threw some picks, which is the ultimate no-no in Ryan Day's offense. So that's something that when he gets in the game, he's got to make sure that he's not doing that because that will end the quarterback competition right away if he's throwing the ball. And not, you know, not all interceptions are the same, of course. I mean, there's the forced interception. There's the if it's you know third and eighteen, you're throwing downfield and it serves as a punt. Essentially, that's that's a little different than throwing a, a bad pick. But um, I'll be curious to see both of them. Because we, again, we've never seen Devin Brown throw. He didn't even throw in the spring game because he broke his pinky uh, the last week of spring practice. So other than a few practice throws, we've not seen him in any real competition. And so it'll be interesting to see what he brings. Um, I've thought all along that it would be McCord. Uh, as it dragged on, I became less certain of that because he figured if he's pulled away or established himself, he would they would just announce it, and he didn't until yesterday. So it was a back-and-forth competition. I think it was close. They, they say they feel good about both guys. And so is the adage of you have two, when you have two, you have none the case, or is it, well, they really do have two? Well, you know, I, don't, I don't know. But... Um, I'm just curious to see how comfortable each of them looks, which one looks kind of more in command of the offense that they see things as they happen. They're not flustered. They're not so confused. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Do you think, I guess maybe the best way to ask is, do you think Ryan day would like to have one at some point? Yes. So, so like, and, and I imagine he's not going to force it if he needs to, to get through right. Indiana or if there's, no separation between them. He'll let it go, but he he wants one to rise above the other at some point. Yes, I I, I do not believe he's a guy that says, "Well, if one's got the hot hand and one or one gets you know gets cold, he's going to bring the other one in." I I think that he is hoping that McCord just takes this and runs with it. Um, and if that doesn't happen, if McCord somehow falls on his face, that Devin Brown comes and runs with it. But I, I certainly don't think it's going to be a platoon system. Uh, for long. I mean, I think that my guess is that McCord will play the first, you know, 15 to 20 snaps of the game, whether that's two possessions, three possessions, who knows. Uh, and then Brown will play sometime in the first half. And and then McCord will probably play to start the second half, and then they'll see how it goes. I, I have no idea. I'm just, that's just my guess. But I, I think that they wants to have Brown play while the game, and again, who knows how the game will go, but if it's Ohio's a 30-point favorite, and if it plays out like that, I think he wants uh, Brown to get some snaps before it gets kind of out of hand. Um, but I also think he wants to have McCord in the game long enough for Ohio State to establish itself as, as the better team and you know have the game under control. Walt Bell said uh, this week, Indiana's offensive coordinator said, um, we were asking about Indiana or Ohio State's defense, and he basically just said, is there a player that will start in the 11 for Ohio State on Saturday that doesn't have a path to the NFL? Not that they'll all get there, but is there a single player in that in that starting 11, maybe even 
you know, you know, if you want to go plus yeah. your two or three best right. reserves that you can't chart a path to them being in the NFL in the next four years. He said, probably not. I guess my question to you is, is that fair? Because it certainly feels like that when you, you know, I think the rest of us in the conference look at Ohio state and as much as we can talk about receiver, wide receiver, you running back, you all that, the area where it seems like Ohio state just reloads is on defense. Guys disappear and guys just move right back up in behind them. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I can just go through the 11 the way I think they're going to line up and, and tell you JT Tuomolo out first round pick. Mike Hall, defensive tackle, potential first round pick. Tyreek Williams, if he can become consistent, first round pick potential. Uh, Jack Sawyer, first, second round potential. Uh, linebackers, Tommy Eichenberg, you know, might be more of a better college player than pro players. I'm not sure his raw speed is great, but he's an all American caliber linebacker. And I think he is a pro. Uh, Steel Chambers, a little on the smaller side for an NFL linebacker, but but multi-year starter, very fast, you know, potentially a pro player, yeah. Uh, Denzel Burke could be the next of Ohio State's kind of lockdown corners. Uh, high draft pick, possible. Uh, Jordan Hancock's probably too unproven right now to, to know. Uh, Davis and Benoson, again, too young to know. He's transferred from Ole Miss, but potentially. Uh Sonny Styles, yes, he's going to be. I'd be surprised if he's not a first round pick eventually. Um, he's the safety, he's kind of a jack of all trades kind of guy. They're going to move him around. Lathan Ransom, yes, on the small side for the NFL, but very good instincts will hit you. I think he's an NFL player. Um, the third safety, we don't know yet. So that's, a, that's the one question they have. They're not sure he's going to. So, yeah, I mean, I've gone through 10 of the 10 that I think I know, and I think there's pro potential for all of them. Yeah. Is there, I mean, I think we, in the times when Indiana has been competitive with Ohio State, it has nearly always been because Indiana was able to score points. And and I think the only game that maybe didn't turn into a, and obviously Indiana, I think, has not beat Ohio State in something like 27 tries. It goes back to 1987. Um, so, 1988, you're selling yourself short. 88, that's right, that's right. I was, I was, at, I was at the 87 game. I was one year old, not six months. I was ago. at the '87 game, and I remember it was, it was like 41 to 10 or 41 to seven. I know those are the scores of those years. I can't remember which one that one was. That's and right. Earl Bruce was Earl Bruce was the coach, and mm-hmm. and it was it was his first year. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, no, it was one of his last years. It was yeah, Indiana helped end his career, um, and. It was. I remember. I remember. I still remember this. The way Ohio State players trudged off the field that day, like, what the hell just happened? And, and now Indiana was good. I mean, that was legitimate. They got their butts kicked. They, that, they, that was, I, I think was, Indiana competed for came with. Like, I think they lost to Michigan State late in that season, and that wound up giving Michigan State the Big Ten. Okay. Uh, but Indiana was in the mix then. And actually, now that you say that, I remember hearing a story from Anthony Thompson where I think. Earl Bruce called that like the darkest day in the history of yeah. Ohio State football. And then yeah. they beat them again in 88, and Indiana's players called it dark day too. Um, and, of course, Indiana <laughs> hasn't won since then. Right, but right. In, in my time around this series, Indiana, the only game I can remember where Indiana was competitive but it didn't turn into a real shootout was 2015. Indiana lost 31-24. Yep. to 24. Most of the time when Indiana has competed with Ohio State, it has been because Indiana could score with Ohio State. Of course, you think right. back to the COVID game and some games we've seen in Bloomington in the, in the fairly recent past. 
every time that Indiana has been able to do that, there's been somewhere Indiana could go to pick on Ohio State a little bit. There's been a, a corner who wasn't playing well, or there's been some shakiness at the top end of the defense, or Ohio State couldn't generate generate a pass rush. When we talk about all this talent, is there anywhere that Ohio State is are there soft spots on this defense or, yeah. or is this, I mean, is this maybe one of those Ohio state defenses that just as long as it stays healthy is going to be stout against all, but perhaps the, you know, the very sort of elite right. teams. Well, you have, you still have the question about big plays because until they prove that they will not allow those, at least not, not, you know, you look, you're going to give up some chunk plays in the game. That's football. But as long as that's not a habitual problem, I would say no. I mean, I think about their defensive line. I think about their linebackers. I think about their secondary. I think about the fact that it's the second year in Jim Knowles' system, and they actually know what they're doing now. And I'm just kind of thinking, okay, what do I what do I do here? I mean, they know it, and so I think they're going to play faster. I think they've got an experienced defense. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the Minnesota game, and that is a, a you know decent comparison. When Ohio State opened at Minnesota a couple years ago. Not only did they have a, a, a brand new quarterback in CJ Stroud and, and a center and Luke Whipler, um, but it was an almost entirely new defense. And Denzel Burke started it at corner as a true freshman, and I mean, I remember thinking, "Oh my God, who are these guys?" And that's not the case this year. They have an experienced defense, and so um, are they exploitable? Yeah, I mean, I think every defense has a soft spot. I mean, Jim Knowles has said, if you really want to stop everything, play with 13 players. I mean, every defense has a vulnerability on its given play if the offense can figure out what it is and execute it. Now, that's obviously much easier uh, said than done. Um, but when I look at, at what I think the Ohio State defense is going to look like, I think it I think it has a chance to be a really good defense. And I need to clarify one thing. I was at the 87 game as a spectator, as a young kid, and not a writer. <laughs> I'm not that old. I, I guess you bring up the big plays. That's kind of the and, and Indiana's got to obviously prove with a lot of new faces on offense and a lot of maybe faces in in, in different. I don't say different spots, but you know you, you've got guys. I think in Indiana, EJ Williams or Donovan McCulley, who seem like they've got sort of big play potential, but it's got to be put on film to really know it's there. Sort of, how did that? When that was a problem for Ohio State last year, were there were there specific sort of things that Ohio State just struggled to deal with in terms of like, you know, receivers going vertical or whatever? Or was it just kind of the defense could sometimes just, especially you talk about being less familiar with a coordinator scheme, just kind of maybe there's a, a scene comes apart and suddenly they get gashed. Yeah, it really happened in three games and, and two I've studied fairly extensively. I mean, the Maryland game was the first sign of, uh-oh, you might have a problem here because Talia Tagovailoa exploited them. And that was, a, that was a real game. I mean, Maryland had a chance in that game and before Ohio State kind of pulled it out at the end. Um, but then against Michigan, and they were, I think it was five, not just big, I mean, huge plays. Like, if it happens once in a game, okay. You can't overcome it when it's five. And that's what happened. And it was different than the 21 Michigan game because up in Ann Arbor, Michigan just manhandled Ohio State that day. And you can say it was because of the weather in part or the fact that Ohio State had an illness swept through the team a little bit. Um, that was a beatdown in 21. They, get, they gashed Ohio State play after play after play. Last year, it was just really those big plays. But they were huge. They were 85-yard touchdowns, 75-yard touchdowns. 
uh, a missed tackle that that I mean the first one was the biggest one probably it was Ohio State had them third and eight or nine around Ohio around Michigan's 35 40 yard line and uh, Knowles dials up a blitz the blitz gets there a split second too late throws a sideline pass and the cornerback Cam Brown misses a tackle and off it was Cornelius Johnson off for a touchdown and that just changed the whole complexion of the game um a couple of the plays late in the game, those run plays where there was a safety blitz and they, they had a chance to tackle Edwards in the backfield and they didn't. And because it was a safety blitz, both safeties, there was nobody there. So he'd ran 85 yards for a touchdown. So I, I think Knowles has said he has studied, <laughs> he has had sleepless nights. He studied that stuff and how to, how to avoid that. Well, don't call safety blitzes in that situation or at least execute, I guess. Um, but it's, you know, there is a, there is an element of risk to know the scheme. And that's that's part of what you get. And the philosophy is at Ohio State, it's okay to give up a couple big plays a game because you know your offense is going to score 40 points a game. So what's 14 if you give up on big plays, if you can create turnovers, if you can create th- three and outs um, on a lot of the other possessions. But you can't give up five big plays. And so that's, that's I think, what they're working on. I'm, I'm always loath to ask people for predictions because I hate doing them myself. Um, I will send you mine, by the way, today. Yes, um, yes. Just know, just know I send it through gritted teeth. Um, Me too. The way I always kind of ask this is basically just, you know, I think we can all understand probably how this game goes if, if Ohio State wins, Ohio State covers. You know, I think the spread's about three and a half, four touchdowns based on where you're looking. Um, so be – with a spread that wide, let's just ask it kind of on the, the the less expected sort of side of the outcome. If Indiana can keep this competitive, what do you think that looks like as a game? We'll close with that. Well, I think if, if it's competitive, it's because the quarterback play from Ohio State is shaky and the offensive line is leaky and Tom Allen has dialed up things that have confused Ohio State's offense and – um, they just don't get in tracked right away. And maybe, you know, Indiana hits them for some big plays and the crowd gets into it. Although, you know, it, it, at, at that in Bloomington is often as much scarlet as crimson, right? I mean, it's, I don't know what's going to be for this game at Ohio state usually turns Bloomington into, you know, Columbus West, at least, you know, a, a large chunk of that stadium. Um, but, you know, if Indiana's giving them a game, the, the home folks are going to be excited, and that'll be a, that will be a home field advantage. And Ohio State fans will be sitting on their hands, but I don't expect that to happen. I'm just trying to come up with a scenario in which this game is competitive. Um, I think that's the formula because um, I I just think that you go up and down the roster, and I would I would bet if you had a draft of the teams, I mean, I've just said okay, you know, first pick, Bourbon Harrison, second pick, whoever that of the 44 guys who are starting the vast majority of them would be Ohio state guys. I think that's probably fair. Um, I think that's, that's probably fair. I think Indiana fans, you know, would, would be happy to draft Caden Curry though. They'd be happy to take him back. I think. Right. I mean, Caden Curry, Josh Fryer. I mean, you know, either one of yeah. those guys helpful to, to Indiana. I mean, Ohio state just recruits at a different level. Than Indiana, that's almost, I mean, but to be fair, than almost anybody. I mean, that's of course, just, other know, than other than Michigan and and Penn State, 
Yeah. Ohio State recruits at a different level. I mean, there's a reason Ohio State wins at least 10 games every year. They just have better talent. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what's different about the college game versus the NFL. It's not stacked against uh, stacked against you in the NFL. There's no parity in college football. We'll leave it there. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining. I didn't even ask for your, your Mother Bear's order. Um, but, uh... <laughs> it's been a while. I will tell you, I'll, I'll put a plug in for Bloomington. Because my wife is going to come with me to the game. There's a great little Turkish restaurant there. I forget how you pronounce it, Turkuaz or something like that. Turkuaz Cafe. Yeah, it's a little, like a little tiny little strip mall. Aaron, my wife, is like, when we think about going to Bloomington, our our son went there. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, we got to go to the, we got to go to that restaurant. So, you know, if they want to throw some money my way for this little ad, feel free. <laughs> hey, they're 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 still there. We had another Turkish place called Anatolia close last summer, and uh, it has left a, a, a sad gap in my in my dining habits. Um, not that I'd take my five year old to to eat well, really anywhere. Um, to be fair, because sitting at a table for more than four minutes at a time is impossible for him. But uh, we do have down, it's down on Fourth Street some absolutely wonderful um, options for ethnic restaurants, Indian food. Um, what Thai food, Tibetan food? If you're feeling okay. Korean and Korean fusion and Tibetan food, if you're feeling, if you're feeling adventurous this weekend, Bill. Well, uh, I love Bloomington. Bloomington's one of my favorite Big Ten cities. It's, um, I mean, I go back. You know, my my feelings about Bloomington go back to the movie Breaking Away, which I think is an American classic. I think it's a brilliant movie, and and Bloomington is. I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Bloomington. My son went there. It's a beautiful campus. I know a lot of people who go to IU or have gone to IU and love it. I don't know if anybody who went to IU and didn't love it. So that's by the way I'd for, for Bloomington and IU. Well, uh, you know, I, I wish, I sure wish I could be somebody someday. Bill, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you all for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners for August 30th, 2023. We will be back in all likelihood after Saturday's game to, to kind of recap that and then spin forward into Indiana State week next week. Um, but for the Indianapolis Star, this has been Mind Your Banners, and we'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.